Hi, I'm Brian Levy. I'm a partner at Manchester Living and the host of the Manchester Living podcast. The purpose of the podcast is to help people navigate the complex maze of elder care. There's a list of elder care terms on our website at manchesterlivingpodcast.com. Today's episode, we're talking uh, to two young gentlemen who had grandparents in our care homes at Manchester Care Homes. Uh, the title of this episode is Through the Grandchildren's Eyes, and I think you'll uh, find this episode really interesting and quite personal. Uh, but first, let's get to today's new and noteworthy, affecting about 44 million people globally. Alzheimer's disease is the most common cause of dementia. Please roll the tape. What is Alzheimer's disease? It's not just a fancy word for memory loss. In fact, approximately 44 million people are living with Alzheimer's disease or a related form of dementia globally. With new medications and research emerging, we think it's about time to get a basic grasp on this disease and how you can help take preventative measures. Let's get started. First, Alzheimer's and dementia are not the same thing. Dementia is the overall term for a particular group of symptoms, and Alzheimer's disease is the most common cause of dementia. Alzheimer's is a type of brain disease that becomes worse over time. Experts believe Alzheimer's disease begins 20 years or more before you start seeing symptoms. Factors like memory loss and language issues are believed to occur because of buildups of beta amyloid into plaques outside brain cells called neurons and tangles of tau protein inside neurons. This eventually leads to neuron destruction, which impairs brain function, leading to difficulties with thinking and memory, and eventually with self-care. We're still learning the causes of these Alzheimer's disease brain changes, but they're likely a result of multiple factors, including age, genetics, lifestyle, environment, and other medical conditions. So are there things that you can do to prevent these buildups? Yes. Regular exercise, good sleeping habits, healthy eating, maintaining strong social connections, treating depression, and keeping mentally active as we age may all help lower the risk of cognitive decline and Alzheimer's. Even if you're young and healthy now, it's important to keep these things in mind as you get older. All of that in a two-minute video, I would encourage everyone to re rewind and watch it again because that's pretty much what everyone needs to know. All right, I'm excited about today's show. I have two young gentlemen, real-life grandkids with grandparents uh, that had diagnosis. Uh, my first guest, Seth, age 21, grandson of former Manchester residents. Thank you for being here. Isaac, age 23, grandson of a current Manchester resident. All right. Isaac, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me here. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Uh, my name is Isaac James. Um, I'm a recent graduate of UT Austin. Um, I'm headed to the University of Oxford next Thursday, actually, um, to study gender studies and a Master of Public Policy as a Rhodes Scholar. Wonderful. Uh, my name is Seth. I'm 21 years old and uh, currently in the real estate industry. I, I do sell real estate for a living, but I'm also a freshman at uh, Dallas Community College, and I plan to transfer to SMU next year and uh, get a bachelor's of business administration. Wonderful. Yeah. All right. Well, I got two overachievers here in the studio. <laughs> this is exciting. <laughs> All right. Um, how old were you when your grandmother was diagnosed? Yeah. You know, I think it was a, a kind of like a uh, long-term process, right? I'm not sure there was really a moment where um, my grandmother had like the official diagnosis, had the official move mm -hmm. that I can remember. But I do remember it was March of 2019 when she moved into the Manchester home. Okay. Um, and so 
that point I had just turned 19. I was a sophomore in college. So it was hard for me at that time to kind of be away from my grandmother and my family at that time. Um, family's based in Dallas. I was going to school in Austin. Um, so I remember coming home from college and kind of having to go through the process of helping move my grandmother or seeing her in such a different space than I was used to. Yeah. And you? For myself, uh, it was the summer of 2016 where she was actually diagnosed with late onset Alzheimer's. Um, and at that time she was prescribed uh, with Mementine. Um, but we knew a long time before then that something was going on uh, dementia related. Um, so that's, but that's when she was actually diagnosed. Was there a formal like family discussion, a meeting and everybody sits down and somebody announces, all right, kids, I've got something to tell you. What was that like? Well, um, it wasn't formal, but I remember playing football with my dad before school and, uh, him just telling me a story about something that she didn't remember and him looking very concerned. Uh, over time, it gradually became a bigger realization that it was pretty serious. Yeah. And was there a formal discussion in your family? Yeah, I'm sure it was. It probably happened when a parent, probably my mom, called me while I was in college to tell me what was going on. Um, but I think similar to Seth's story, I think I remember a lot of just moments in my childhood, especially in my teenage years, where my mom would kind of be worried about something my grandmother probably forgot. Um, it's also in the family. So it's something that we knew we might be expecting or just the little things as they continue to add up. I could kind of like pick up on signals that it was going to turn into something a lot more intense than just uh, forget sure. every now and then. Um, what are some common occurrences grandkids should be prepared for with a grandparent with diagnosis? Like, what are some of the things that that you wish you had known? This. Well, I wish that I would have known how to speak to my grandmother because the common occurrence is that she's, of course, going to say things that don't add up. Um, and not trying to correct her on, on those things. Um, that's something I certainly feel like I should have known back then. Um, but I think everyone in my family was a little bit confused in how to respond to things because at the time of actually, you know, the graduation through uh, the disease, it's, it's something that you can't really tell where she's really at. And if you don't correct her, you feel like you're doing her a disservice. Mm -hmm. And if you do correct her, you feel like you are kind of hurting her feelings uh, for no reason. And so it was hard to determine um, where she was at in that process and where you should tell her the truth and where you shouldn't. Yeah, and and having those skills to be able to communicate with somebody with a diagnosis like dementia is really important to redirect rather than to correct, et cetera. And you have a very uh, unique situation in that that you lived with your grandmother. You wanna talk about that? Yes, um, my dad and I moved in with my grandmother um, by the time I was around uh, two or three years old. Um, she raised me like a mother in many ways. And, um, so did my actual mother, but she was just another mother figure in my life. Um, so I really looked up to her. She was a businesswoman um, before she retired and was clearly very smart. And so everything about her, I really admired. Um, like I mentioned, when my father first mentioned to me that she was having some memory issues, it was, um, it was kind of casual, but, um, I was, I was 10 years old at that time. And it, and it really started picking up since then. And it wasn't until I was 14 uh, that we actually got that diagnosis. So you you lived through <clears throat> the whole process. I did. And um, I think you know, I was 16 years old uh, when she actually moved into her first care home. Um, and then uh, soon after with Manchester. So. Was that scary? Like, what were emo what were those emotions like? Was it scary? Was it confusing? What, what, did, you, what did you feel? <sighs> definitely confusing and um, definitely heartbreaking would be the word. Um, 
if I can tell a story, uh, I just, I, I remember that it was very common that in the morning she'd be quite clear. Um, and as the day went on, uh, she became a lot more confused. And uh, one night she did not know me at all. This is the first time she really did not know me. And uh, I went into her room and tried to comfort her and, and just say, you know, what's wrong? She was angry. And I just said, do you know who I am? Do you love me? And she said, no, I don't love you. And um, that was heartbreaking to me. Confusing. Yeah. 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 It, it made me tear up and just, I couldn't handle it. I was most likely probably around 12 at that time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, excuse the uh, monkeys in the background. We're going to have some window washers here soon. So that'll be a nice break in this deep conversation. Isaac, have you ever done any research online or studied uh, dementia in ways to engage with your grandmother? Yeah, I think just outside of just, you know, talking to my mom or talking to my parents about what to expect, I definitely did some online research. Um, but I think, you know, online research can only prepare you so much. I think the seeing it in person and like interacting with uh, a grandparent who has Alzheimer's or dementia is the real life lesson that no one really expects to have to go through. So where did you get, I've seen you in the care home interacting with your mm -hmm. grandmother. Where did you get the skills to know how, I mean, that's a skill to know how to communicate with her. Yeah, I think 110% through my parents and just seeing my mom interact with her, my dad interact with her. Um, I think most of the times I would visit her, especially at first it was with my mom. Um, I'm not sure if mom planned it that way or if it was just kind of like, oh, going to see Nanny, you should come with us. Um, but absolutely observing my mom care for her mother um, inspired me and definitely taught me how to interact with my grandmother in that way. And you? I, I do remember looking into uh, the ways to communicate uh, whenever I was probably a little bit older when I got to around the age of 13 or 14 and I realized that it was really getting serious. Um, the main things that I found out was to simply uh, let things be. Whenever she would say something that didn't add up, to not get into these arguments. Um, I real and the reason that was so tempting for me to do is to correct her is because I respected her so much and I didn't want her to not know what the truth was. And I, I just felt as if that it wasn't real. I was almost in denial. And so, but that was the research I did was to how to accept that and, and how to move on from that and how to make sure that's actually the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember actually looking into that by, by the time I was probably entering high school, so. What coping skills and mechanisms did you um, did you use to deal with the situation? Did you do therapy? Did you group? What Isaac, where did you go and what did you do? Yeah, I think primarily the best way to work through those emotions were with family. I think seeing my mom go through, seeing her own mother go through these processes and just being able to talk with her about what that means and kind of help her process her emotions um, and have her help process mine as well was the best way for me to kind of get over those emotions and also process them in a way that was healthy and also felt productive. Great. Seth, did you feel like you had to take on more responsibilities as time went on living with your grandmother, your dad's working? How did that affect your childhood and how did it progress? Well, um, yes, I did feel like I had a bit more of a responsibility. Um, of course, my dad wasn't always home whenever I was with my grandmother at home. Um, and I really remember at times where if my dad had to be out of the house during the evening where she would just tell me, hey, I'm going home. And I would actually have to stop her from leaving the house. Mm -hmm. um, and that was heartbreaking to me because she wasn't herself. 
she was angry with me, didn't know who I was. She thought I was a stranger in her home uh, or a stranger in some area stopping her from getting home. And that was my responsibility was really to keep her safe and um, in those times of distress for her. Yeah. What is it? Yeah, I think I can speak specifically to this as the older sibling, mm -hmm. right? I think, um, you know, my sister, she's a teenager now, but she was much younger when the diagnosis happened and when my grandmother moved into the home. Um, and actually the first time that my grandmother kind of like didn't realize who I was was when I was there with my sister, who's like seven, eight years younger than me. So in that moment, I have to, I had to process the shock and process what that meant to have my grandmother forget who I was. And then also put on a brave face for my sister who was kind of confused. Um, we were there without our mom who could kind of always guide the conversation. We were there on our own. And I think that added a level of like independence and uh, kind of responsibility that me as the older sibling had to kind of take on. Yeah. So how did that affect your relationship with your grandmother? You're clearly close with her. You have this relationship. She's declining. And now you're faced with a woman who's not the same person as Nanny before. Yeah, I think it, it definitely, taking on that responsibility, I feel like it drew me closer to her in a unique way, like having to almost take on the role of my mom when my mom wasn't there, um, to kind of guide the conversation, to make sure she was feeling okay, to kind of like take over like care in that 30 minutes or hour that we were spending with her. Um, and I think that added a responsibility that, yeah, in my opinion, drew us closer. Yeah. And your, your situation obviously is very unique in that it affected your relationship with your grandmother and your dad. Right. Um, with my dad, you know, things overall stayed the same, but it was like we were almost uh, co-partners in this situation. And it was something that was really hard on both of us. And we had to learn through it together. And we, our relationship developed um, through that. And we matured together in the way that um, we, we handled it. Uh, but with me and my grandmother, it did, in, in some ways it brought me closer, in other ways it didn't. I was already very, very close with her. So it really tore down a lot for me going through that. But at the end of it, I matured and reflected on a lot of things in my childhood that I look back on and I can see, hey, I shouldn't have done that, but now I know better. And um, overall, going through that um course of responsibility has helped me in my adulthood. Yeah. Jumping back to the diagnosis, from your standpoint, and obviously it's in different stages, do you have any suggestions on how families would tell the the grandkids about the diagnosis, whether it's at a young age, a teenage, college, etc.? What's What do you recommend? A family meeting? Uh, a letter? <laughs> what's, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would say most importantly is honesty. And even though we're kids, whether teenager, middle school, or in college, I think being honest with the kids is critical to communicating healthily and like uh, making sure that the kids are able to process in a healthy way. Um, I'd also say definitely I, what I, my personal preference would be like face-to-face -face or a phone call, just a way for me to ask questions and engage in a discussion that's not just like, here's the news, deal with it. But opening a dialogue for space for questions, because there will be questions. Sure. I think it's a confusing process for kids who have never interacted with someone in a care home like that or never interacted with their grandmother in a space like that. So I think honesty and open communication is critical. That's great. Thank you. Seth? I completely agree with Isaac. Um, you need to be straightforward whenever you're telling uh, your kids or grandkids about 
the situation. Um, because if you're not, they will make mistakes that they will look back on um, when it comes to because, because the main thing is that they can still have a true relationship with their grandparent. It doesn't have to completely alter that development at all. But if they don't realize what's happening, it can cause trauma for them. And you do need to tell them how they should act. Um, because if, if not, it just doesn't end up well, I don't think. Yeah. yeah. Guilt is such a common emotion in dealing with situations like this. How do you digest and reconcile that emotion? Sad. By forgiving myself, um, just knowing that I was a child at that time. Also reflecting on the fact that I wasn't alone in, in, in that. Um, it was human reactions I was having mm -hmm. and my adult family were, were having similar reactions. Um, so uh, personally, I, I look back and I just thank God for the development that I went through and I'm able to forgive myself in that way. One, one big thing that did certainly help me other than just personal reflection was even though my grandmother wouldn't necessarily know who was talking to her while she was in the care home, um, I would just tell her. I would tell her the stories and I would look back on things and I would say, uh, Meemaw, do you remember this? And uh, I just want to let you know that I wish I would have um, been there for you more. And um, I would simply apologize to her. And that's that really helped me. That's great. I love that. Okay. Mm. Wow, this is emotional. <laughs> God. Um, do either of y'all have special techniques and tactics in communicating with your grandparents as they were declining in the care home when you would come to visit? What were what, what did you go through? Well, when she was in the care home, um, I specifically remember that the way we would talk to her is just completely embracing anything she had to say. Whenever she would you know, if it was gibberish or if it was a real convert, you know, real sentence that she would come up with. And sometimes it would be, uh, we would completely embrace it and, and just, just rejoice in it, I guess. Um, we'd be excited and would, and would, I don't know how to explain it, but it was just something that we would completely embrace with every conversation that we had. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm like taking notes from Seth at this point. I think like, um, I think there's a lot of things I've learned over the course of, dealing with my grandmother in the home. Um, a few of them being just like gentleness and just approaching every conversation with her like delicately in a way, not in a like uh, condescending or patronizing way, but in a way that gives her space to be herself. And like Seth said, like embracing everything she's saying, um, rejoicing in what she's saying. Um, but specifically also, I think, being able to find moments of joy in what she says, even if it makes no sense at all, or even if um, it's kind of like off topic. I think just, um, you know, maybe redirecting the conversation or regardless, I think treating the conversation with, and herself with respect to make sure that everyone feels welcome and she feels comfortable and isn't alarmed or um, like shocked by anything that we're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree with that so much because when you're in the, in, when you're in those moments, um, the main thing you're trying to do is reduce anxiety. It's, it's so common. Mm -hmm. um, so if you, you know, see your grandparent being flustered, you just, you just embrace uh, happiness in whatever way you can. Mm -hmm. That's great. Agreed. Thank you. Um, if your parents or family could have done something differently, what would it be? Mm. I think um, my mom and my dad handled the situation really well with me personally. I have like no qualms at all about 
the way that they told me or the way they interacted with me. I think if I could wish for anything, it would be that um, my parents and my mom specifically could just like be more gentle with herself. I think, you know, going like seeing my mom go through that process adds a, another level of like, I'm worried for my mom. I'm worried for my grandmother. I think there's multiple levels to that. And just, I just hope my mom continues to take care of herself <clears throat> and treats the situation and her own emotions with uh, a healthy hand. That's great. And Seth? Likewise with my family, I believe that they did a really good job for the position they were put in. But looking back on it, there were things that we could have done better. And, and simply it was just around communication, I think. So for anyone watching, um, just make sure communication is in line between people in the family and with the grandparent who's diagnosed. Um, and so I think that was the main thing. That's great. Communication is key. Always comes back to communication. Seth, what haven't I asked you that I should? Well, uh, just a topic that I think we should go over is the regrets. And, you know, during those sundowning moments that my grandmother experienced, I wish that I would have realized the uh, seriousness of the situation versus trying to, versus, I guess, taking her, what she thought to be real and, and, and arguing with it. Um, at that time, I don't think I was mature enough to be that uh, authority, I guess, but I needed to be in that moment for her uh, to help her calm down. Um, and, and in that, I could have, instead of telling her what she's saying is wrong, redirected her in that, in that moment. If she thought that she wasn't at home, I, I regret not just saying, okay, well, I'm going to take you home soon. Easing that anxiety. Yeah. And just, and then letting it play out until the situation calms down. That's my, that's one of my biggest regrets because that happened over and over again. Yeah. And I would continue to try to tell her the truth on things when it wasn't getting her anywhere. It was only upping the anxiety that she had. Yeah. Great insight. Thank you. Isaac? Yeah. For me, I think uh, one topic we didn't really cover <clears throat> was joy. And I think there's, you know, there's a ton of negatives with, with moving a parent or grandparent into a home. But I think there are some silver linings that exist in this form of like raw joy that I didn't expect to see from my grandmother. Um, and a few examples are like every time I would come home from college, I was able to be like, okay, Nanny, I'm like, you know, I'm going to UT Austin. And she's able to like kind of connect with me on that because she also went to UT Austin. So she's able to kind of throw back to the sorority home that she um, used to live in. And we can have those conversations. And um, I was never able to really have those conversations with her previously, but that's immediately what she jumps to when I talk about UT Austin. Yeah. Or when I talked about, you know, living in New York for the past year, she leaps into, oh, I love New York. You know, my brother loved New York. And we're able to just like jump into these conversations in topics that bring her joy. And I think that was something that I had never really interacted with her around before. Um, you know, we were able to just have a normal like grandmother, grandson relationship. But when she's kind of in a state that brings her back to maybe her younger years, um, I'm able to connect with her in a way that I wasn't able to previously. I'm going to bounce off that. That's Please. okay. Um, I think the reason why I didn't learn that sooner was because of the responsibility that was on us at that time. Mm -hmm. um, thankfully, whenever she was in Manchester, um, my dad and I felt a lot less stressful um, for that whole situation. And we were actually you know, able to uh, communicate in a way with her that we knew she was safe. She wasn't going to go away, run away in the middle of the night. Um, 
And so whenever we'd go to visit her, it was, it was, it was a reset from that, from that past experience we had with her. Uh, and every single time it was a time of joy. Um, she, you know, until the moment she passed, she would light up and at least recognize her face. She didn't say our name. Um, and so we got to embrace that, um, at the end there for sure. That's beautiful. God, you guys are, y'all are great. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Thank you so much. All right, let's move on to the nugget portion of this episode. Um, he um, put up the, the image. Uh, grandparents leave behind beautiful little traces of themselves on the souls of their grandchildren. This could not be more uh, more literal and <laughs> than, than today's episode, so I just wanted to show that. I love that one. All right, let's go on to the lightning round. There's an opportunity for you guys to get to know these guys in a non-clinical, non-grandkid uh, uh uh, sense. So we'll start with Seth and go to Isaac on each one. Are you ready? One word answers. Go. Where were you born and raised? Dallas, Texas. Arlington, Texas. College and degree. SMU, uh, business administration. UT Austin, Bachelor of Arts in Government. And plan two honors. And? And incoming graduate student at University of Oxford. And? Uh, Rhodes Scholar. There you go. <laughs> Still in touch with childhood friends? Yes. Yes. Spicy food or plain Jane? Spicy. Spicy. Call or text? Call. Text. Wow. Uh, ever broken a bone? Yes. No. Hmm. Favorite ice cream flavor? Mm-hmm. Vanilla. Cherry Garcia. <laughs> <laughs> Can you change a tire? No. I think so. Oh, boy. <laughs> iPhone or Android? iPhone. Yeah. iPhone. There you go. Sentimental or day by day? Sentimental. Sentimental. Karaoke, yes or no? No. <laughs> yes. Last question. Would you ever consider a career in elder care? No, I don't think so. Isaac? Yes, and I'll add some context. I know I'm not allowed to say more than one you word. You, of but... course, <laughs> Say it all. <laughs> um, but when I was in New York the past year, I actually worked for the New York City Department for the Aging. And that was such an insightful experience for me. I never interacted with aging policy or what it means to like lead an agency at a, at a city level, especially in New York. Um, but that gave me first line insight into just the value of caring for older adults at, in a city as big as New York. So wow. I have a lot of like inspiration and a lot of friends still there that I keep up with. On the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, thanks for watching today. I hope this was in- insightful and helpful. If you want to see this episode again or any past episodes, log on to manchesterlivingpodcast.com or do a search on YouTube, Facebook, or wherever wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for watching today.